Hi, everybody. This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. Well, today, folks, we have a treat for you. We are so excited. I worked extra hard to get today's guest to join us. It's Monica Guzman. Is, am I saying that right, Monica? Oh, it's actually Monica Guzman. Guzman. Thank you, Monica Guzman. And um, she has a new book out called I Never Thought of It That Way. And the subtitle says How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in a Dangerously Divided Times. Monica, if you would, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself before we jump into the conversation. Yeah, so I... I uh, am a senior fellow at Braver Angels, which is the largest cross-partisan grassroots nonprofit dedicated to political depolarization. So we bring some tactics from marriage therapy, believe it or not, and we make the analogy between couples on the brink of divorce and Democrats and Republicans on the brink of whatever the heck we're on the brink of right now. <laughs> um, so I'm, uh, I'm at Braver Angels. I'm the host of a new podcast called A Braver Way, which is all about equipping people with the tools they need to bridge the political divide in their everyday lives. Uh, what else? <laughs> I'm the author of this book. I travel the country a lot. And um, meeting uh, a lot of people and hearing a lot of stories about the struggles people face across the divide and some of the potential solutions. Mm, Monica, muy bien. Nació <laughs> en México, ¿no? Sí, nací en Monterrey, sí, México. Sí, en, en, yep. en hablas español cada día con sus parejas. Uh, cada día. Cada um, día. Mis dos hijos también hablan español, entonces como la mitad del tiempo hablamos en español aquí en la casa y la otra mitad en inglés. Uh, pues uh, bienvenidos al podcast. Es, es un placer. Igualmente. Sí, igualmente. Uh, I, folks, I was, uh, Monica, Monica was born in Mexico. I, I knew that. So we, we kind of set this up. And uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, she uh, obviously speaks Spanish and speaks it every day with her, her uh, in the house and has brothers and sisters. But anyway, Monica, we are excited to um, to be here with you. And 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 as Skip said, I, I, you know that your book is very um very, very interesting. And, and in, in the in the world that we live in today, there is just so much division and, uh, you know, disagreement. And, you know, that is a barrier, not only in our in our day to day interactions with people, but it, in, in our jobs and in everything that we do. And, and tell me a little bit about the motive behind writing this book, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, so there were two. One is I've been a journalist my whole career. I'm still a journalist. And I really have found it one of those things that is the central critical ingredient to a healthy society is people having a way to understand each other. So when I was in journalism, I thought, okay, I'm part of an institution that does that. It helps create an informed society by taking the stories, you know, that matter and talking to people and then trying to responsibly explain people to others in their community, right? So I'm thinking, okay, that's the way I'm going to help people understand each other. But over the last, you know, five, 10 years, things started to get pretty hairy where it felt like just telling stories in that institution wasn't enough because everything was breaking underneath. Something was broken underneath. And I think we can see that not just in journalism and media, but also in politics and a lot of our institutions just 
the trust that that might hold us together is harder to find. It seems like the well is drying up. So I thought I've got to get out of daily journalism and see if there's a way I can work on that deeper problem if I am still to try to help people understand each other. But the the other thread uh, that's more personal for me is my family. So I'm from a politically divided family. I'm a Mexican immigrant, uh, okay. and my parents, you know, brought us over when I was five or six. Um, and uh, we started voting around the same time because they, you know, got their naturalization and became citizens in the year 2000. I was 17, so I automatically became a U.S. citizen. And they went Republican and I went Democrat. Uh, and so, you know, hilarity ensues and much friction and and woo. And then by the 2016 election, it wasn't funny anymore. Things got really, really, really intense. Um, the expectations we had of each other, you know, how could my mother believe blah, blah, blah. Um, how could my own daughter says blah, blah, blah. Um, and they voted for Trump, which for me was a very difficult thing to accept. Uh, we've had the kinds of conversations about our politics. You know, I've learned how difficult it it still is for my mother to accept that I'm pro-choice when she's deeply pro-life, deeply pro-life. Um, and yet we've had the kinds of conversations where we have been able to understand each other. It's it's really hard, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and we don't agree and we don't change each other's minds. But that's not the point. There's a different purpose. So having been through that within my family and then looking around the country and seeing the struggles in so many other families and communities just makes me think, you know, there's something to learn. There's something to learn here. And we need to talk about what this takes um, before it's too late, frankly. Sure. What do you, what do you think happened? Because I've heard you talk about, you know, you've had, you've had some students uh, come up to you and say, you know, what was it like when you were, in college in the nineties and, you know, I was in college yeah. in the eighties and, mm -hmm. and, you know, you could, you could talk, you could, you could have differences of opinion, but you could talk about it. And, and it, and it wasn't so hostile. What, what, what do you think has changed over the past 20 years? Yeah. I mean, we've always been divided and we should always be divided in terms of what we think ought to happen. I mean, differences sure. of opinion are the lifeblood of this country and a, and a good society. We should have differences. If we all agree, something's up, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. it's, it's how we disagree. And um, I think, I think a lot of what's changed is the fact that we are sorting ourselves into like-minded groups in, in new dimensions. There's new layers to that. Uh, and also there used to be liberal conservative, liberal Republicans and conservative Democrats, and there just aren't, you know, where our differences are resolving more and more into two camps where you can say, okay, is this person religious or not? Does this person live in a city or not? Are they white or a person of color? And you can start to more reliably predict where they're likely to fall politically. So all of these kinds of identity-based things are are adding to kind of the, the felt consequences of someone on my other side, you know, who may not just be opposed to my political self, but also maybe to my cultural self, my racial self, where I tend to live and what tends to make me comfortable. Um, that combined with social media and the fact that we are in these performative spaces all the time where we don't show up as full human beings, right, in, in each other's presence, but rather walking opinions um, mm -hmm. and signals to each other. And uh, that that's made this a really, really reactionary time, not a very reflective time and um, not very easy to get deeply curious about other people's perspectives. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned, you know, that now it almost seems like that 
everything is either black or white, you know, yeah. and, and, and it, you know, and I, 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 there are several things that I, I loved about, I love about uh, topics that you've talked about, but you talk about the, uh, the assumption assistant that sits on our shoulder and, and, and how we, we make all these assumptions. Talk to us a little bit, bit about that. Yeah, so I there's a little doodle in the book by my friend Haley, and it's it's quite cute. Uh, but it's the concept that we all make assumptions. There's no way to get ahead of that. We're all going to make assumptions. We're going to assume we know a lot about people just based on looking at them, you know, and um, stereotypes and the signals we get in our world, which, again, have been sort of emphasized and skewed and twisted because of the way our, our culture is shaped right now. Um, but because we can't control having assumptions, what we need to do is notice them. Um, assumptions I think of as answers to questions we we didn't bother asking, guesses to those questions because we didn't ask them. So mm. assumptions are kind of like the little minions to certainty, right? And certainty I think of as the archvillain to curiosity because if you think you know something, you're not going to ask about it. You think you already know. So there's a lot of certainty that people manufacture when they're stressed and scared. Um, and we do that because it's really hard to sit in uncertainty, um, you know. And so a lot of people, when it comes to politics, you know, will think, how could they believe this? And then they'll find some thought piece on the Internet that doesn't have the answers. It has an idea, you know, and they'll look at that article and they'll go, okay, yeah, yeah, now I know. I know exactly why these people think the way they think. And I don't have to ask any questions. I can judge them just based on this. So this is the trap we get caught in. Um, and it leads us into this vicious cycle where we're judging each other more while we're engaging each other less, which means we can't check our perceptions with reality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You, you also mentioned there's something that I, uh, Skip mentioned, uh, the bridge. And, and I absolutely love your analogy is that, you know, as you, you know, we're all, there's always, always going to be differences of opinion. And the, the objective is not to cross the bridge or get the other to cross over to your side. Mm -hmm. The objective is not to blow up and burn the bridge. And, and, and so the bridge is there. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. A lot of people feel like, us. yeah, pe people feel like, all right, I want to talk to my uncle about this thing, this thing that we disagree on. So I'm going to go and I'm, could ask my questions and oh my gosh my uncle's just talking at me my uncle's not asking any questions back my uncle's not getting curious about me and you know an hour goes by and I'm like that's it this didn't work forget it I'm not going to talk to my uncle anymore I'm going to burn this bridge we're done um and I mean I'm exaggerating for effect right sure, sure. but I think in general um in general we we do get to this place where it's painful, it feels painful even to be attached to people who believe things that really disagree with us. And so we are tempted to burn that bridge, just bust the association altogether. But but what I what I think the research shows and what I believe is true um, is that the most important thing to do with a bridge to another person who's different from you is is not is not to cross it, but to keep it. And so right now, people are burning so many connections to people who are different from them. Um, you know, intentionally, unintentionally, consciously, unconsciously, you know, I'm going to unfollow this person. I'm going to put in my online profile that I don't want to hear from so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm going to 
block people. You know, there's the social media ways. And then there's the real life ways. I don't want to hang out with this person even on Thanksgiving anymore. Like we're, we're done. I just don't want, I don't like their, their perspective on the vaccine. I don't like their perspective on, you know, the elections. And so, and so it's over. Um, and what we, what we don't realize is that each, each one of those burned bridges leaves more and more of us in like-minded groups. And when you share your instincts, you also share your blind spots. And so, you know, sometimes we, we do that because we think it's a deterrent to the other person believing what they believe. And maybe, maybe so, but people need to be heard. And so if that person isn't heard by you, they'll find someone who hears them, someone who already agrees with them. And mm -hmm. so keeping the relationships where we do have some differences is part of the way I think that we access more complicated truth together than any of us can have on our own. Mm -hmm. Well, this is really good. I've got a, I've got a question. So what about the person out there, Monica, that says, okay, yes, I agree with this. We see it on TV. We see it on social media. But so what? How does that really affect my work? But it does overflow into one's work also, correct? I mean, I think so. It's it's hard to think of a place where this doesn't come up because it affects how we relate to each other. It affects how we suspect each other. Political stereotypes are really, really pervasive. Um, you know, it, 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 yeah, it, people, people sort of get suspicious. They, they want to get, put each other into camps. Somebody might mention an issue in a certain way and you go, my gosh, do they believe that? Oh no. Right. And we treat each other differently. We're afraid to bring up certain topics. Uh, it comes up in the workplace a lot. We've, we've seen a lot in the last few years where, you know, certain employees think, okay, my business needs to stand for this. And others go, no, we don't. And then it just kind of blows up. There's there's so much that's changing and it's turbulent about our culture and about the norms. It'd be one thing if, I don't know, we were arguing about taxes, I guess, but it's, it's a lot more fundamental than that. You know, um, in the last 10, 20 years, so much has changed in our society and it has let loose so many voices that needed to be heard. And it's made a lot of conflicts a lot more visceral for people. And so that has turned up the heat and it's turned up the emotion. And you bet that politics is not just about the headlines. It's not just at the ballot box. Politics is our whole lives in some cases and for a lot of people. So it's gotten to the point, for example, where you know, some, some folks say, well, the answer is just not to talk about politics. And maybe that used to work for a lot of families and maybe it still does for some. But I've met, I've met people who say, you know, when my father told me that we couldn't talk about politics anymore, th these issues matter so much to me that he was basically telling me, I don't wanna see you anymore. And so, that happens in the workplace. That happens everywhere. How how unseen are you? You know, um, how curious do you get about other people? What judgments come up for you that you choose not to question? Um, uh, yeah, and what opportunities do we have? Now, th the last thing I'll say is that in in the workplace, it's one of the few places where you don't really get to choose your colleagues. You know, we get to choose a lot about who we're around, especially digitally. But you don't know who's going to walk into the hospital. You don't know. You don't know. Um, and you, so you have to, you have to know how you're going to treat people and what you're going to choose not to assume. And and I was going to, you know, talking about that, being in the healthcare field, we, we, we work on teams and, and, you know, people from all different walks of life are on your team. And, and of course we have, we have one purpose and one goal, and that's to take care of that patient and provide them the best quality health care that we can. And a lot of times we say, well, we don't, that needs to be our focus. We don't need to, 
we don't need to get too personal with each other. We don't need to know each other. But but I, I just really don't think that's yeah. and it's almost like we're afraid to engage with with people about any other subjects or topics that that that, you know, of course, you want to do it in a respectful way. And, and, and you know, but I, I just think that that teams work better together when you when you when you have that engagement and, and you know, you know, at least a little bit of something about the people that you're working with. You know? Right, right, right. People do feel a little more part of a team if that can happen. But we're afraid of all the all the minds that could get set off. We we um, we know we're living in a volatile time. We're not sure if something we say that's just what we think is going to just come at somebody like a gut punch. Right. We don't know yeah. that. And then we're also having a very good, robust discussion about Okay, my reactions to what you say, who's responsible? Am I responsible for my reactions? Are you responsible for my reactions? Um, you know, yeah, when is it malevolent uh, to be saying what I think if it really rubs you the wrong way? And when is it just being honest? Um, so th these things are really confusing people <laughs> and makes it, and, makes it difficult to take the risk. And, and that brings up something is that, you know, a conversation is a two-way you know, it takes two to tango. You cannot mm -hmm. have a conversation mm -hmm. without having somebody on the other end. And, you know, you talk about we have to have the courage to start those difficult conversations with with those people. And that's hard. You know, that's really mm -hmm. hard. But how much responsibility does the person on the other end do we have to say, OK, this person is engaging with me with with this conversation and, and I'm not real comfortable about it. But yeah. what's my responsibility to receive it as long as it's done in a in, right and, and not right. not not be so hurt by it, you know, because now it's almost like if if somebody disagrees with you, it, it's almost like it's a personal attack or a personal right. affront, which, which, right. which is really not. And and how do we how do we get past that? And and and, and skip, skips work in our work. We, we, most of the things that we do, we think they're skills and skills that, that can be learned yeah. and skills that can be practiced. What, what are some of the tips that we can do on both sides when we're, when we're trying to have that difficult conversation with somebody? And, and even when we're on the receiving end of that, yeah. how, how, how should we react? Yeah. Well, you just said the key word, which is practice. Uh, yeah. A lot of folks, when they think about these kinds of things, crossing a bridge, because they're afraid, they'll imagine the longest possible bridge, the worst possible idea, and the worst possible person. And they'll be like, you want me to do that? It's like, well, no. You, you can start by practicing in a more low-risk kind of way, right? Somebody with whom you see eye to eye on most things, but you know you disagree on this one thing and you've got a good relationship. Okay, ask your question, right? And then if you – and then it's about taking things just one step further than you otherwise would. I think that's the guideline. So – Let's say that you're in a, in a conversation, it gets to that contentious place, but you 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 want to try to practice some curiosity. But OK, they've given their opinion and now you're ready to jump in with yours. Make yourself ask one more question and a curious question. A curious question is one that closes the gap between what you know and what you want to know. So there's something you want to know. Sculpt your question so that it'll actually give you that information rather than make the person feel defensive. Put them on the spot. You know, gotcha. Uh, ask them a question that's really just your opinion baked, you know, to, made to look like a question, et cetera. So you can do that. 
um, you can just, you know, decide to have one more conversation than, than you normally would. There's all kinds of ways. And we know from the science, uh, here's another tip. We know from the research that if you use um, what's called receptive or hedging language um, in your statements of your opinion, you know, so if you say, you know, as I think about it right now, yeah, th this is how I feel about this. But what do you think? Versus this is this. You know, absolute statements of certainty. Um, what, what the science keeps showing is that curiosity is contagious. You speak with some sense of, I'm a human being, I'm here to have a flexible conversation, and they are more likely to do the same thing back to you. So so the, the practice is also one where you're setting the tone for a conversation. And as you were saying, HF, you know, takes two to tango, right? And so whatever's going on in the world, okay, do you guys know, you know, chick flicks? They have this whole thing at the end with the chick flicks where the couple kisses and then then everything else falls away, right? Yeah. I mean, in a conversation, in some ways, the longer you're in a trust building conversation, everything else falls away. The labels, the stereotypes, whatever power dynamics exist in the outside world, the longer you're in that one-to-one -one conversation, the more that the two of you are just people, right? And not mm -hmm. Republican, Democrat, old, young, black, white, blah, blah, blah. Um, at least that's that's what I've experienced, and I believe I know that may be controversial to people, but I think the power of conversation is profound. And so, the less we want to engage in it, the less we can benefit from that power. I so agree with uh, so many things you're saying. So let me let me let me run a couple things by you, and uh, let's see how they uh, see how they fly uh, as we sit here and have the conversation. So, the, so many things are going through my mind. One right now is an old mentor and. He's, he passed away in January, uh, the late Dr. Edgar Schein. If he said it once to me, he said a thousand times, he would say, Skip, life is a series of conversations and everything happens through conversations and relationships. Mm -hmm. So that phrase in itself, when you think about that being the uh, the transaction, you know, we to move forward, the way that we exchange is through that conversation the other thing he would say is that in North America, we tend to have a natural instinct, good people with good intentions, to want to tell, to want to give advice. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael Bungay Stainer, the, the author of The Coaching Habit and the, the Advice Monster and other books would even talk about that we have this advice monster inside of us. Mm -hmm. And so what I've been learning myself as I've been trying to improve my listening skills, one of my... Uh, somewhat comical uh, approaches is I'll sit there like this. Mm. And for the <laughs> listeners, I'm holding my hand, my fingers over my mouth. Mm. Now, that's normally interpreted that Skip is in deep thought. I'm mm. not in deep thought. I'm literally holding my mouth shut. Mm. And I'm trying to be a little more curious. You, you've, you've made that statement multiple times, Monica. Mm. And I love that. And what I'm learning is by using that little trick of holding my mouth mm -hmm. and asking open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. My favorite question lately is, uh, and what else? Yeah. And what else? Right. Can you tell me more? Yeah. And, and the issue is not whether I agree with you or not. The issue is, do you feel, do you feel heard? Right. Do you, am I, am I kind of connecting with you on that? that oh, yeah. thought? No, that's absolutely spot on. Um, there's there's research, too, on this, what they call questions of elaboration, like tell me more. Um, and th th so so we've, we've proven in the lab that if we use more questions of elaboration, people 
want to stay in the conversation longer. You know, they want to engage for longer. Why is that? Well, think about when somebody wants to know more about you on your terms, how that feels. It feels great. <laughs> you know, it often feels really great. Now, it depends on, I mean, sure, it depends on the context. If I'm interrogating you, you know, you're sure, going to jail or something, sure, maybe not so much. Sure. But most of the time, if people go, oh, tell me more. What do you mean by that? You know, yeah, what else? What else? What else? You're, someone's taking an interest in you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a gift. So people like that, you know, and not only that, but we also know that 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 it is true that people can hear better when they are heard. So in many of our disagreements, we skip to the argument and we're not really hearing each other because you're telling me I'm wrong without wondering what it is I really mean and spending time with what I really mean. And so because we don't, we don't do that, we skip those steps our arguments aren't effective. And um, I often think a lot of our arguments, whatever the political issue, what they really boil down to is I matter. No, I matter. No, I matter. <laughs> it's like, right, well, right. you know, and people just want to feel like they're not stupid, wrong, bad. And that's really it. Well, and even even the point about, you know, even kind of jumping off of politics, I'll, I'll just uh, exp- you kind of uh put the spotlight on my mistake. I remember one time having dinner in Palo Alto, California with Ed and just a family and we're all talking and laughing. And I made a statement, a irresponsible off the cuff statement about a public CEO that if I were to mention their name, everyone would know who they are. And and I, I remember Ed looking at me and he said, why would you say that, Skip? What what has brought you to, in other words, what he did was he challenged my, uh, where did I come up with that? And I really had to eat crow uh, because then what happened was someone else at the dinner table um, worked for that individual in their past Ooh, yeah. and talked about how kind that that CEO was and, and how respectful and how things that were opposite of how I had characterized that person. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about that that night and thinking, why did I say that? Mm-hmm. Not that I'm a victim, because I'm not, but mm-hmm. I think I, I fed into the social media one-liners mm-hmm. that are out there about that right. individual. And um, and that was a great lesson for me to learn mm-hmm. how I, I so quickly jumped to conclusions, right? Yeah. When, yeah. when reality, I don't even know the person. And so I think that's where that transfers into work also. I love that. I love that example. I particularly like the question you were asked. So what what led you to to make that statement? You know, instead of jumping into, no, you're wrong, or how dare you? It's just, wow, what brought brought that up for you right now? You know? Exactly. And and, and that can bring up all kinds of stuff that may not even have to do with the argument. That's right. Monica, when we talk when we talk about being curious, you know, I, I don't I don't know if you if you watch Ted Lasso, but one of my favorite scenes, scenes is I, when he when Ted and Rupert are, are throwing darts in the pub, and, and I mean it's mm-hmm. just a, a, a beautiful sweet sweet scene. But you know, how much is our lack of curiosity driven by by fear? You know, we're just afraid. Now, you know, yes, you hear that curiosity killed the cat. I mean, and, and that's true. There, there's sometimes when yeah. we need to be afraid. And like you said, you don't go up and pet the lion and say, well, I wonder what this lion's going to do if I try to scratch it, scratch his ears. You know, we should know better. But sometimes 
we're paralyzed with fear so that so that we're not willing to take that to take that step to learn to learn something about that person that we don't know. Yeah, exactly. No, you you can't wonder about something you think is out to get you. So the the key is you think is out to get you. Yes. So it, it's always about reality. Like we all have our perceptions and our projections and our thoughts. Um, are they are they well founded? Are they you know informed? Um, and I don't know. Like fear, <laughs> fear is sort of a cheap emotion. It's it's easy to feel afraid. Do we want to believe our fear every single time? Well, let's consider the consequences. Our fear keeps us safe. It helps us survive. It's a total superpower. It is awesome. But fear in our brain also freezes our ability to be creative, collaborative, and reflective. Mm. So, <laughs> right, when we are afraid, it's really hard to work together on something, to 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 be productive on something, to, you know, we, we're just in fight, flight, freeze, fawn, you know, the trauma responses might come up. So those are awesome when you need them. They're really not awesome when you don't need them. Mm -hmm. How do you discern the difference between I'm something is burning in this conversation and we're just cooking something. The heat is cooking something. It's not burning. It's cooking. We're good. Mm -hmm. That that's the key difference, right? Heat in a conversation is not the problem. The problem, the question is, are, are you cooking something? Or are you burning something? So if you feel your sense of dignity being burned, right? Someone is just destroying you rhetorically or like not accepting some deep part of who you are and you just can't get out of there. You don't need to be in that space. You know, you, you'll know what that what that point is for you. You'll know. Um, but uh, but if you are in a place where you think you'll run into that feeling in too many places. Then you run the risk of, well, gosh, you're you don't want to hear anyone, so you won't be heard by anyone. And how is your society going to reflect who you are as as we engage in these conversations? So my vision is is like a curious world. A curious world is a world that sees itself. When you take yourself out of sight, what happens? Well, the world mm -hmm. can't see you. So so it's it's a delicate balancing act. But I think the I think the the thing I would offer to that is you know discernment, like make sure that we don't walk away from developing our ability to discern the difference between danger and discomfort. And mm -hmm. the way you do that, I think, is low risk exposure. So don't go to the hardest conversation, but make sure that you are like adding a little friction in a few places. Um, and then, you know, you'll run into the thing that you're like, nope, I can't. No, not right now. Maybe someday, but not right now. I can't talk about this in this way. Great. Now I know that. OK, right. But keep pushing your limits because I think the world demands that of us. Whatever limits you feel you have, you know, keep asking yourself if you still need them. Sure. So quick little story and then a question. I believe, I think that many uh, people would want to ask you if they got to spend time with you. So I'm going to ask it because I thought about this. But here's the quick little story. I remember being in Washington, D.C. and uh, many things occurred, but I was ended up having a, um, a uh, dinner meeting. Uh, me and other many people um, with two well-known politicians. One was of the Bush administration. One was of the Clinton administration. And I remember them from being TV. They're well, well known. I'll keep their names out of it for now. But uh, one was very much far left. One was very much far right. 
The thing that shocked me about their presentation on stage, and then I went on to ask them when I was sat at the same dinner table with them, was I was shocked with how much they agreed on Mm. versus how much they disagreed on. Many times, person A would be uh, sharing what they talked about on a particular issue, whatever that issue is, and they would say, I agree with X, Y, and Z. I actually agree with person B on this, but I don't agree on this. Mm -hmm. And then the person B would do the exact same thing. And I just remember being blown away with the civil, respectful conversations on both agreements and disagreements. And so I asked them at dinner, I said, I just got to know. I said, why don't I ever see any of this on TV? And they went on to tell me that that's a different game that's being played on those TV. And that's, that, right. that's and I remember just think, thinking of, of that story the whole time I, I was looking at your book. But here's the question. Here's the question. OK, mm. you don't have to give us any details, but I got to know. This is the question I've been wanting to ask you. In the last couple of years, is there something that you've changed your mind on? Oh, yeah. Be- because of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've thought a lot about this with all the conversations I have with my parents. Uh, there was a time when not long after the 2020 racial justice, you know, protests Mm -hmm. and and all of that, um, where my mom and I were having a conversation about Black Lives Matter. So, you know, I, my mom told me that she supported the movement, but not the organization. And I really was taken aback by that. Uh, and then we, I asked her questions about it. Well, what, what leads you to, to think the organization isn't something you want to support? Um, and so we had the conversation and talking and talking. And she, she tells me that, you know, she was looking through the website and she found this place where the, the organization was really de-emphasizing the importance of family. Um, now, as, as sort of someone who studied sociology in college, I, I know where that comes from. Uh, but as I reflected on that conversation with my mom and I went to the website and I saw the same thing, I didn't know that uh, about that organization. And I realized, OK, liberal I may be, you know, and, and all the stereotypes that come with that. But I do. I really believe the family is really important, really, really valuable. So I realized I think I dock this organization some points in my estimation for that, too. Um, not to the degree my mom did, but I remember that that actually influenced my opinion because I, uh-huh. I heard that from her and I didn't even know, right? Well, I'll end it with this. I think if there ever was a time for this quote, I'll bring it up again. Life is a series of conversations and everything happens through conversations and relationships. Uh, I will walk away from today's conversation being inspired to be a little more curious and so for that, I thank Absolutely. you so much, Monica. And on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you so much for the work you do. Thank you for spending time with us today. And uh, thank you for really encouraging us to be a little more curious. Thank you so much for your time. We, we so appreciate you, Monica, and just we're so grateful for you. Yeah, thank yes, you. Yes, we are. Thank you, Monica, very much. Thanks, y'all. This is a great conversation.